situation. So uh, we were very heartbroken over the situation, but um, excited to feel like we can serve and help in any way. Um, and that goes back just because of, of who they are and what they are to us and, and to the community of Adina. The willingness just came from who the wise are. It was a no-brainer. It was not a question. It was, what are we doing? What can we do next? How are we going to help? They have poured so much into the community, the people, the programs, that it was what needed to happen because of who they are. Go ahead. Pull, pull yourself up. All right, tie your six or five. As Brett began Four. treatment for the cancer, the family soon realized the challenges he faced. Brett's doctors decided his best option would be a bone marrow transplant. The testing determined that the leukemia had returned. And even though he was taking really strong chemotherapy, sports, and all the things that sports taught me for my entire life and lay, that those things impacted the story we're telling today. A lot of those lessons that I learned through sports and through coaching has helped me to coach through this difficult time. So, in that video, I referenced uh, the part about Brett being completely blind. And so that was true when he woke up from the coma, he was completely blind. After that time, he had two eye surgeries um, that restored his vision. And then when he had his relapse that summer, it caused there to be scar tissue behind his retina. So now he's completely blind in one eye and then he has partial vision in the other. And I have a slide later that explains that. Um, <clears throat> we spent the first 19 days we spent in Le Bonheur. And so this video, there's just a real quick video here that tells about one of the things that they did for him was something that they didn't even do in that hospital. So I'm just gonna play a little clip from that that explains it. Today we're here to talk about two wonderful nurses from the University Hospital, and the story of what they did in collaboration with Le Bonheur Children's is really what inspires me. And so the story goes is that we have a 13-year-old from St. Jude's Hospital. What brought him in were these complications. He had been lethargic, just wasn't acting himself, had um, brain swelling, very, very critical patients who's admitted to the ICU to receive um, a higher level of care. And it turned out we needed to do a, a treatment um, for this child that we did not do here at La Bonner. I remember Katie bringing this story to me and how we were trying to get our sister hospital university to come and help us out with actually giving the treatment because this is something that they do regularly over there. And so one team reached out to the other team at university to Sheila and Bernice explain what the situation was and then really said how can we make this happen for this child because if not then the outcome for that child was not going to be optimal. So when Sheila got the call saying, can you and your team help do this, the answer was yes, and it was, how do, how do we do this and how do we do this now to give this life-saving treatment? Partnering with them, they knew the adult side of it and the procedural side of it, and the Lebonner nurses knew the pediatric side of it. So we were able to perform two treatments on him. He was able to get the additional interventions that he needed, and then he stabilized, and we were actually able to transfer him to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital where he could further get the rest of the treatment that he needed. 
they truly collaborated together, bonded with this family, this child, during the couple of days of treatments that they did, and the outcome was a positive outcome for this child. This therapy, we truly feel, made a difference and impacted his life. Sheila and Bernice are examples of nurses who take the extra time to establish those relationships with the families that are so meaningful. They did it with such grace and such compassion. They really collaborated in the teamwork that they provided. The patient care was phenomenal. So throughout our story and throughout the rest of today too, we're gonna to show you some other people that had a huge impact on Brett's survival. Um, from that very first night, they were telling us he's not gonna make it, you know, multiple times and even before Chris was able to get there that first night. And so many people played into saving him. And so that's one reason why I wanted to, sh to show that quick video. Um, and then I have, and this is the last video we'll show, but each year there is a fundraiser in Jackson where we're from um, and they raise money for St. Jude. And so last year we made a video for the fundraiser and they raised $200,000 for St. Jude last year. And so we're gonna play that video for you. My name is Brett Wyatt. In January of 2021, I was diagnosed with cancer. St. Jude saved my life. Thanks to the generous donations from people like you, my family never received a bill from St. Jude. difficult not seeing my family, I'm very thankful that St. Jude provided my parents with a place to stay to take the best possible care of my brother. I am so grateful that I was able to be the bone marrow donor and that St. Jude supported me every step along the way. Some people would say that I'm a hero, but I would say the real heroes are the staff at St. Jude. I am not only thankful to God, but also to St. Jude's staff that I was able to help my brother beat cancer. I will always be thankful to St. Jude for taking care of my family through such a difficult time that no one should ever face. Brett's mom. 
I'm most thankful for the excellent care that Brett received at St. Jude. No one wants to hear that their child is sick, but there is a peace that comes with knowing that your child is getting the best care in the world. St. Jude spares no expense in doing whatever it takes to give children the best chance at survival.
And so she came back and he kept making it to the next day and the next day. And she came into, he was doing a little physical therapy and she got emotional and had to leave. And one day in rounds, she said, I'm cautiously optimistic. And that was the first time anybody had said, you know, something in that positive way. Or as they started to say, well, in 24 hours, we're gonna do this. Well, that felt like a victory because at first they acted like we weren't gonna make it to the next hour. And so then they would say, well, you'll probably be here another week. Thank you, right? And so at those times, um, it definitely gave us a different perspective on things like that. On the bottom left, the guy that's in that picture down there, he's actually the person that answered the phone at St. Jude's when Jackson called to see where he should be sent, whether he should go to Lebanon or to Jackson. And so after we had been, um, so we were at Lebanon 19 days and we were sent to St. Jude. And we were, after we had been there for probably a month, he ended up being in the rounds for Brett. And they got to Brett's room and they were outside the room talking about the kid that was in that room. And they said, you know, here we have Brett Wyatt. And he dropped everything in his hands. And he said, what? Because he didn't think he was gonna make the ambulance ride from Jackson to Memphis. So he was just so amazed to see that Brett was still with us. So I did bring this with us today. It's Chris's idea, that's a good idea. Um, while Brett was in Lebanon, um, I shared a video of Brett and Bonnie when they were little. They always loved the Santa Tracker. <laughs> get on Santa Tracker and Brett does a little cute, you know. Um, they did it like it was a newscast and I shared it. And I said, so instead of Santa Tracker, we're gonna do a prayer tracker. And so people started writing in and posting and sending where they were praying from. And so you can see that uh, in that top picture. And so our doctor was from Nigeria. And so he was so excited to see that Nigeria had made the list there. And so that's why he's pointing to that in that picture. Mm -hmm. um, but it was amazing because this was blank, you know, when we got it. And to be able to fill that in was really special. So I'm gonna let Chris tell okay. if you can. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, as Carla mentioned, there were several relapses. Uh, they did all the the things that they could for him chemotherapy wise just you know there's just a regular protocol that they follow if you have he has all you just follow it and best case scenario is uh, you go home and you come back uh, every week for two and a half years well that's not brett's story of course uh, and then they had to adjust the protocol and we met uh, his doctor dr carroll was the person in charge of this case i don't know three or four times I got to where I dreaded seeing him coming down the hall because it wasn't going to be good news. They take you in the little family room next to his room, and then he has to tell us, well, this is not working. Things are not going like we want them to. And there's different tests they use to measure the amount of leukemia you have. One is a microscope. And so if you can see it on the microscope, that's really bad. And then they have one that's just called machine readable data. And that's like the middle test. It's one out of a thousand. Is that right? One out of a thousand. More than that, like a million. A million. Yeah. And then there's one called, I forget what it's called. The NGS. Yeah, the NGS. They send that off somewhere, and it's like one out of like 100 million. Is that right? Something like that? It's a lot. It's a huge number. So that's the one they're looking at. 
they're looking at the middle one and seeing like, okay, we need it really to be zero. And that was the goal to keep it there. And then the other one's called the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's way more advanced, but his numbers on just that middle test were not good. They were not what they wanted them to be. And so I think the last, one of the last conversations that we had with him that was like that was you sort of need to, we're at like 15, 20% survival rate for where we are now. And so the, the plan was to get him to a bone marrow transplant. The point of which would be to take his bone marrow which makes all your cells and blood and leukemia is a cancer of the blood and replace that with someone else's bone marrow. So it's very difficult, as Brian mentioned in the video, very difficult to find a match. There are services, there's a thing called Be The Match. People will donate and you can check and see if they're the match. Even siblings aren't always 100% match. Your parents are 50, yes. At the most, at the most, at the most your parents would be 50. Optimals 100, we even knew of some twins, and the twin wasn't the other twins 100% match. And so, obviously that's God's hand that mine was the match. And um, so he went through several rounds of radiation. Um, one, because you had to get all of the leukemia, they pretty much wipe out your entire immune system where you have none, so that you're ready to accept the bone marrow transplant. Uh, part of the other relapse was the leukemia got back into the cells in his eyes. Mm -hmm. And so that they had to just wipe out all those. And so he went through really, really intense radiation, 30 rounds, is that right? Something like that? I'm not sure. There were a lot. Remember, but, it was, yes. but to get him to this place, and so Bond ends up being the match for his bone marrow transplant. That's sounds like really science fiction-y sort of stuff. You think, oh, they're gonna do all this stuff. They took Bond's blood and they hung it on a bag and they put it in bread and that's it. Like it wasn't like you think, oh, this is gonna be some really involved process. Now Bond did have to have surgery and they extract it from your spine. But when they got ready to do it, that's just there and they just hook it up to him. It takes about three and a half hours. And then everything the plan is for Bond's blood to take over for Brett. So then in essence, his bone marrow and his immune system is now Brett's. Um, and there are a, a, a myriad of things that can go wrong. There's uh, graft versus host where you would like reject the bone marrow from an outside person. We had none of those things. So all the stuff that happened before that and all the sort of like things that kept digressing Six pound things we did not want to happen. Once we got to the bone marrow floor, they had told us that when you're in the bone marrow unit now, and you might, it's going to be kind of a lengthy hospital stay. And I'm like, oh, okay. They're like, it might be up to 90 days. I said, 90, we've already been here 250. <laughs> 90? 90's nuts, nothing. We'll do that. We can get that sitting on our head. So <laughs> he actually was in there less time than they projected. So they came to us one day. Was it? 30 days? Normal is 30. Like, it has to be. In a normal situation, is 30. They had told us we would be there 90. And we ended up, it was it before 30. 30 days. They said, okay, we're going to discharge. And we're like, Wait. okay. <laughs> right. So uh, he, he spent that time. And then so we go home. And they had let us go home a couple of times before that, just on a long weekend. And to be honest, I think the reason they let us go home was because they thought he wasn't going to make it. Mm -hmm. And they just wanted us to be able to come home some. 
and it was he couldn't even, he was hard for him to ride the car. But so we get home, and uh, they send you first to a place called Target House. That's long-term residency. It's very close to the hospital. St. Jude has a couple of places. Ronald McDonald. That's for short term, and then Target House is for longer. Like if you're going to be there 90 days or more as an outpatient. So Brett took 17 different medicines in the morning alone. So we would get up and we had the list and a bunch of them I can't pronounce, but you see, Carla has it all organized. Here's what to do at what time. We have all of them laid out. He doesn't swallow pills. And so we had a little pill crusher. So you'd have to take the pills, smash it into powder, put it into liquid. It was a ton of stuff. He took, that's just in the morning. He took three different ones at lunch. At night he took 14 different meds and he had some as needed meds depending on how he was feeling. Had to spray the stuff up his nose. Was that his nose or? Yeah. Five times a day. He had a, a patch that you had to change to keep him from getting sick. Right? So he's still under radiation and chemo. And so he has like a lot of the stuff they give you to make you not be sick. His eyes are still an issue. As you probably saw in the video, I had one of them that was really red. So he had surgery on both of them. Then he had to rinse his mouth because it's all about like you have to keep all the germs and stuff out. It was a ton of things. And you got another one? The port. I don't, but this he had a port that, that, where they could put medicine in that was like a, a directly to his heart. So every day we had to flush that. He had a feeding tube to feed him. So you had to flush that thing. He had to run it at night on this little machine that pumps the food to him and it would go off all the time. It would stop only at like two in the morning. It never stopped like at four in the afternoon. So always like dead at night. You have to sleep in the room with him. It was just always something. Like just so many things that, and they expect a lot of the parents help take care of them and do those things so that was home so finally we come home 320 days afterward and one of the things at target house you do all in the walls of the the halls there uh, were people who wrote about their story while they were there and so some of them were kids who did not make it through their stay at target house but fortunately brett did and carl made this and it sort of tells about his story and how long we stayed there and things like that. So we get home and it's been 320 days. Was that like December the 13th, 13th something mm -hmm. like that. So we got to Le Bonner on January the 25th and made it home December 13th of that same year. Okay, you're up. <laughs> okay, so this summer uh, we're having to skip a little because, <laughs> but this summer we moved to the Nashville area. So that's one thing a lot of people ask. It's like, why are you here? <laughs> like, how did this happen? You know, you've gone through this traumatic experience and then you've moved away from home. Like where I grew up, where my kids grew up their whole lives, like how did you end up here? And so the reason why we're here, that first picture on the left is us taking a tour of the Tennessee School for the Blind. And so we had gone to an IEP meeting for Brett in the spring and the lady that was the outreach person for Tennessee School for the Blind said, you know Brett qualifies to actually go to school there. And even though I knew that, it just kind of hit me in a different way. Because I knew he wasn't going to get what he needed where we were, and that it was the right thing to do. A lot of those kids hop on a bus on Sunday, and they ride to the school, and they live there during the week, and then they come home. Well, obviously Brett was not anywhere prepared to do that. He's still learning to walk again. Um, and still had short-term memory loss and a lot of reasons why that wasn't a possibility. And so we moved. <laughs> so we, um, 
it was a fast decision and people say well, wasn't that a hard choice wasn't that a hard decision this isn't really the best time to be moving to Nashville necessarily and so what I say is when you feel like you're led to do something and you know it's what you're supposed to be doing it doesn't matter so it became a lot less hard because we didn't have we didn't feel like there was a choice to be made that's what we're supposed to do that's where we're going and a lot of details in that story and this this was a quick version of it um but there were definitely moments throughout that we definitely felt the prayers of those people on that mount and we know he wasn't supposed to make it. And for Brett's whole life as a small child, people would say, I can't wait to see what that kid does. Because he was so smart. He was at the top of his class, super witty, very personable. So people would constantly come up to us and say, like after he was sick, they would say, I just had this special connection with him. And I would think, and his cousins would send cards in that said, don't tell anybody, but you're my favorite cousin. And like, but they all, they all did it. And I was like, you know, when people would say, oh, I had that special connection, I'd think, oh, yes. Because that's part of his gift. He makes you feel that, you know, that he does have that connection, but he makes people feel so special in that way. And that's part of the reason why so many people have followed his story, because they've seen him be this light in this dark situation and have such a good attitude coming through it. And so we um, have enjoyed our time already at Otter Creek, and we appreciate y'all having us. Oh, question. Thank yeah. you. Where did you get your spiritual support during that time? What, what did I your get? Your spiritual support. Where? Yeah, where, did, you know, where did you get it from? Because we talk about, you know, like the miracles and, you know, the power of prayer, but, you know, I mean, I would say that we felt those things from the very beginning. Um, just early on as, um, during those times when they said, you know, he wasn't going to make it, and then he just kept making it to that next moment. Um, and there was music, I think, during that time that I would listen to um, that was helpful for that strength also. And we just had so many people reaching out and praying for him during that time. And just when you witness those things happening in those moments, you just can't deny what that is. Well, I think when, if you were here last week, Josh talked about thin veil theology. Yeah. Those nurses, like Brett could not speak at a ventilator in, but she knew, like when you see those things, you see that thinness between heaven and earth and our local church was very supportive as well and still actually continue to be very supportive of things that we need even though we don't live there anymore uh, and just you know people who saw need who felt like they felt compelled to reach out whether it was monetarily and I don't know how many people sent us money there are people that mailed cash which you're not supposed to mail cash but people mailed cash to us <laughs> from all over people sent money to pay our mortgage like or like here's a substantial amount of money I've never met you but I felt like this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my money St. Jude of course you don't receive any bills um, I don't I don't know if we there were so many things that if you ever were to go back and really look 
and think about how often it was clearly God's hand doing things, working through people. Yeah. I see his beautiful smile throughout. Mm-hmm. Is this yep. his always attitude? I mean, I know. Pretty much. Sure, uh, so I walked oh, him down yeah. to OCYG. He's just got a giant grin on his face. What are you smiling at? I don't know. He's going to picture me. It's his face all the time. You can see God's face in him. Yes. That's his face all the time. How much older is Bond than Brett? Three years. Three years? Yes. Yeah. Is he able to there are so many things that improved along the way, um, but he did have that, he had the feeding tube for almost a year, not quite a year, um, but yes. From 17, he takes no medicines, nothing. Yeah. Doesn't take anything. Uh, where's you been? It's in Arizona. Yes, that's Brett, yes. Prior. Before, obviously, all of this, and I was about to have a heart attack while I took oh. the picture, I was like, oh. <laughs> Chris kind of made fun of me the whole time we were there. We all got to the edge and looked over because it's Colorado River and it makes this big bend. Look at it. Yes, that's where that is. Is there a Facebook page where we can follow? There is. Uh, By Brett. It's Great Bike Brett. Yes, yes, yes. How old are they now? Uh, Bond is 18, about to be 19, and Brett's 15. And where is Bond now? He is actually living with us. He spent a semester at UTC and he's getting a couple of jobs and you know um, it was a traumatic time for him Mm -hmm. and so he spent a lot of time it was also during COVID and they did not allow visitors and so he spent a lot of time at home without us and then um, even this fall they had him go back to St. Jude and donate more cells so he spent two weekends going or two times going back there so he needed some time with us all together and to his brother doing well and yeah he he really gave up a lot because there were actually two times he was supposed to get bone marrow and so he had to completely isolate himself so that was like summer so he didn't get to go to basketball camp or church camp or see his girlfriend nothing he did that twice and like st jude was very strict with it like we had to kind of battle to let both of us stay there it's usually it would be a one parent and you trade out so because of Brett's situation, and then we've actually snuck Bond in there a couple times. We're supposed to like we get him in there. The nurse will be like, "Don't tell anybody." Another one's like sneak in behind. So all three of us in the room for some of those pictures. That was a no-no. It only happened anyway. twice with them. Yeah. Right. Not we many times it. for as many days as 